This episode is sponsored by Rehoy & Son, big supporters of local sport. Hello and welcome to the Guernsey Press Football Podcast. We now know who our teams will be facing at this summer's Island Games. Reaction to the draw for Guernsey 2023 coming up. We'll also look back at a positive week for Guernsey FC, albeit one that ended in frustration after a feisty defeat to Marlow on Saturday. Six weeks ago, we'd have, we'd have lost about 8-0. Um, we wouldn't have been able to even, even compete with them. We wouldn't even be able to sort of... They probably wouldn't even have needed to do it, to be honest. But... Um, I think that shows that uh, where we are. We'll also get Tony Vance's thoughts on the off-the-field changes at GFC and their survival prospects this season. An extended interview with the GFC boss coming up. Plus, with the FNB Prio League making its return at the weekend, we'll round up what happened there and look ahead to a huge clash at the top of the table this weekend. I'm Tony Kerr, and with me, as ever, is Gareth the Prevost. Hi, Tony. And this week, James Fowler. Hi, Tony. Uh, great to see you both. Um, let's start with the uh, Island Games draws then, because, um, yeah, they came out a little earlier on today. Um as far as the men are concerned for Guernsey, first name out of the uh, out of the hat, out of the pot, um, the top seed in Group One, and uh, we've been drawn alongside the Western Isles, Orland, and the Isle of Wight. I'll get your reaction in a moment. Um, as for the women, um, that is a three-group tournament: one group of four and two of three. And uh, Guernsey, the seed in Group Three, alongside Innes Mon and the Western Isles. So uh, yeah, two games against the Western Isles for the uh, Sarnians. Um, yeah, an interesting draw. Just to run through the uh, the rest of the men's draw it's four groups of four and the group winners go through to the semi-finals group two isle of man innismon falkland islands and shetland uh, group three greenland bermuda Froya, and orkney and in group four menorca is the seed and that's where we'll find jersey alongside newcomers gozo and saint helena um the women's group stages uh, group one is jersey bermuda hitra and orland group two isle of man isle of Wight, and menorca and as i said before guernsey in group three let's start with the men uh, guys uh, initial reaction to that draw when you saw it gaff I actually thought very tough, Tony, to be honest. Um, usually in Ireland games, it's always tough to get through your group. It's always hard to sort of top to progress. But usually you see one game where you think, well, that should be relatively straightforward. And that'll be the game where perhaps your starting 11 would perhaps get a rest and you'd play some of your perhaps what you'd term fringe players. I don't really see a, an easy game at all in that group, to be honest. Isle of Wight are bound to be strong. Orlander have always been pretty decent. And Western Isles, when they bring a, a good side to the Island Games, they've ended up being medalists before. So it is going to be pretty tough. And uh, I think home advantage, hopefully, um, will help us get over the line in that one because um, it, it's not going to be easy at all. Yeah, Orland silver medalists on home soil in 2009. Isle of Wight gold medalists on their home soil in 2011 um, but they weren't there Isle of Wight um, in Gotland the last time the full football tournament was played which is 2017 so still we're going back a few years um, but presumably that's why they weren't um, you know among the higher seeds because um, yeah you'd imagine that they will be a strong side. Well you would certainly imagine that pretty much every team in this competition has been aching to get into Ireland Games competition again because like you say it's been six years since um, anyone's played so um, I imagine every side that comes over will be as strong as they can possibly be and when the draw came out I was a, I had a bit of a bit of anticip um, trepidation about it to be honest didn't we have a good honestly 2003 when we won it at home we didn't go into that competition as favorites though did we I seem to recall you know it, it, it was a com it was a campaign that gained momentum as we went and then you know by the end we were almost unstoppable and I think we did demolish somebody in the final, but uh, I seem to recall we didn't necessarily start it thinking, you know, this is a walkover. Whereas perhaps when we were in Jersey in 2015, there was a you know, clear belief in the squad that we were going to do it on their soil as well, and uh, you know, and it, and that is what happened. And Jersey obviously, unfortunately, crashed out of that uh, in the group stage. Yeah. Would Jersey have a particularly poor record in the Island Games football tournaments um, in recent years? Uh, they finished fifth in 2017, seventh in 2015 on home soil, which yeah, it was somewhat of a disaster, wasn't it? Given, um, given they were the hosts, but you assume they're going to come here, obviously with a very good record in recent Marathis, um, with some good form behind them with Jersey Bulls, and uh, yeah, with a very much a point to prove. And as far as the uh, yeah the group stages are concerned, 
you know, should Guernsey and Jersey progress, it looks like they'll meet in the semi-finals. So uh, that will be a very tasty encounter. Can you imagine a semi-final, which obviously won't be played at the Garen stand, so I presume it might be the track or even the Corbett Field or something. That would be quite uh, that would be quite a special evening, I guess it's going to be, isn't it? I just look at the rest of the draw in terms of um, yeah, who to look out for. Obviously, you know, Alderney, we've been over that a few times. But um, yeah, as we said, Gozo, uh, newcomers making their debut, so a bit of an unknown quantity. About 30,000 people or so live in Gozo. Um, and I know speaking to um, the chap who came over to, to sort of represent them when they were making their application to join the Island Games Association, he said that football, you know, w- was one of the major sports that they'd be looking forward to taking part in. So, you know, th- th- as an unknown quantity, I'm sure Jersey won't be looking forward to facing them. Bermuda as well, obviously, have, got, have had some really good players in the past. And, um, some players who've played uh, at championship level, haven't they? And the thing is, it's, it's very... Island Games football is is particularly interesting because you've got you know the British islands, which you think you know largely you know a little bit about, and also, but everybody's upping their game there. Guernsey FC, Jersey Bulls, Isle of Man FC, etc. So you know everybody has moved on probably since uh, since the last time we were playing Island Games. Then of course you've got the. Um, uh, Mediterranean or the you know US uh, ish nations, which is a totally different uh, kettle of fish. You've no real idea what you're expecting there. And then of course you've always got somebody from uh, Scandinavia who uh, you know can be uh, useful. So uh, it's a real um, a real mixed bag and great uh, great competition, isn't it? One thing that does stand out, of course, at this moment is you know we know who Guernsey's men are going to be facing in the group stage, but we don't know who's going to be in the dugout. Um, it's a question that we put to Tony Vance um, a little earlier on today, so um, uh, you'll hear his uh, response to that uh, later on in this pod. Um, let's look at the women's side of things. Um, Jim Innismon and the Western Isles, uh, back in 2017, they finished 11th and 7th respectively, so... You look possibly a, a kind draw, but I mean, we don't know a huge amount about how our squad are going to shape up in a competitive environment. Yeah, indeed. I, games. I would have thought Innismon was be quite a difficult, uh, quite a difficult challenge. I seem to recall that they were playing regular um, league football uh, fairly recently, so you know they could be uh, quite, quite challenging. Uh, <coughs> Guernsey's intention has always been to get out of the group in uh, in this Island Games. Uh, and hopefully to do that. Uh, you know, my initial res- response when I saw it, a wee bit disappointed we weren't in the group of four, to be honest, mm-hmm. because then that's, uh, you know, uh, an extra game. Having said that, uh, you know, the demands of an Island Games tournament with so many matches in a week are tough. And I know uh, when we played in the, in the Island Games in 2015, the squad was absolute bare bones by the end of it. I think we'd lost every goalkeeper in the squad to injury or something. So, you know, it is... It, if, you know... Uh, Men's teams that are that are well prepared for the rigors of a league season is one thing. You know they have to adapt going into a week long tournament. When you play football once a fortnight and suddenly you play four games in six days or something, you know that is something completely different. Uh, and uh, you know uh, it'll be interesting to see how we prepare for that challenge. Yeah, Gotland, the gold medalist last time, but not here uh, this summer. Um, so yeah, the other side's probably to look out for, I guess. Obviously, Jersey, um, Orland will be quite strong, I imagine. It is going to be a fascinating week. We'll have lots more build-up here on the Guernsey Press football podcast and, of course, in the pages of the paper. Right, let's talk about GFC now. Um, Gareth, we went and caught up with Tony Vance down at the Aztec Centre um, this morning. Had quite a long chat with him about a few different things. It's been a really interesting week for the Green Lions. Off the field, um, uh, we've seen the uh, appointment of Julia Hans, the hand-picked uh, hotel's founder, course uh, club sponsor for the last few years uh, who stepped up as the new chairwoman with Mark Letissier um, as club co-founder stepping down from the role that he's been in uh, there for a few years and on the pitch um, they've managed to secure back-to-back wins uh, in the in South Central for the first time in a little while um, and that was heading into that big game on Saturday which I suppose in a way looked like a bit of a free hit with uh, you know a, a, su- a surprise win on Wednesday night against South Park um, and it turned into uh, I suppose what you would call quite a memorable encounter is that fair um there was a lot going on tony i'll say that <laughs> considering i'd sort of left myself a, a 600 word report to write and i wrote basically 1400 words just because there was so much going on um 
I'll, I'll leave a lot of this to I'll talk with Tony Vance because we we do discuss the, the Marlow game in quite in depth. But um, just on a more general note, it, it, I'm very I'm much more positive about the performances of GFC at the moment. Last couple of weeks, um, certainly the South Park game, they played very well. Sort of first half hour or so, deservedly went ahead and. Um, ended up being sort of a bit of a coconut shy in the second half towards the end, but they, they defended really well. They actually defended, I thought, pretty confidently. I mean, I know they're under a lot of pressure, but I, I was always pretty confident they'd gone on to win that one. And then against Marlow in the first half, I thought they were very good. Um, there's there, there's that experience in midfield with uh, Kieran Marm back from his suspension and uh, Dave Merris, who's really slotted in nicely into that sort of in one of those sort of pivot roles in midfield. And Ross Allen's playing a deeper role, just sort of using his footballing wisdom, really, to to unlock some doors as well as work hard. Um, and I thought they looked really good on for the first half on Saturday. Second half, they weren't really allowed to play football. Um, we'll go into more of that with, with Tony Vance. But uh, yeah, I, th- I think generally the, the vibes should be very positive about what the Green Lions have done in the last sort of fortnight, considering how bad the previous sort of two or three months had been, to be honest. What difference does Ross Allen make? In the role he's playing or well, in, well, in d- the effect d- he has on the team? Just being back. Being back, you can tell, I mean, there's there's a definite buzz about the crowd as, as much as anything. Um, just having Ross being in that side gives everyone a boost. And I think in terms of the players on the pitch, the less experienced ones, the ones who are still making their way, you know, the guys like perhaps Danny Hale and um, Brandon Wallace, having Ross behind them, but also in the side with them, they seem to be more confident. It just there just seems to be more of an air of uh, confidence about the whole team when he's there. And and I also think uh, Kez Mahon has, has made a big difference being back as well. He's um, uh, that experience head. Unfortunately, he went off injured sort of quarter an hour into Saturday's game, so that was a, a bit of a blow as well. Um, but yeah, those um, the the nous that's now in that midfield is certainly given the side a bit more stability, but also just a bit more belief, I think. And I think having Ross there gives everyone that belief that we we can score. That's the thing. Um, we were struggling so so badly for goals, not because the strikers weren't capable, but they weren't really having many chances either. Um, having Ross back, he scored twice in two games. Sam Murray has been a real handful in those last couple of games and scored an absolute cracker on Saturday, an overhead kick. Um, so, yeah, I th- I, it's, it's almost... <laughs> We did joke in last Thursday's podcast that Ross looked rusty in his first 25 minutes against South Park when he was playing the ball to all the red-shirted people, but um, he, he got out of that quite quickly. Um, but there's certainly, um, uh, yeah, like I said, belief about that side, which was pretty evident wasn't there even as recently ago as the Thatcham game when, to be honest, I, I thought Thatcham were about as, as average a side as I've seen over here and they went away with three points thanks to a a corner that hung on the wind and, well, was taken in by the wind, really, to be honest. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it's just the whole atmosphere is just more positive because of those experienced guys being back and the results are now showing it and the performances. Yeah, and so GFC have now played the team fifth in the league in two consecutive matches, won one, narrowly lost another. I mean, it goes to show what Tony was saying in the in on, on the darkest days where basically, you know, I, I suppose they reached a point where he didn't, necessarily think that he would get his squad back but when his squad is available Guernsey is clearly a top half even top third of the table team in that league you know they can uh, get results against everybody apart from the the big checkbook merchants at the top of the table yeah I mean it it is one thing and I I keep harking back to this I I know I sound a bit a stuck record here but in the last couple of years when Bracknell came over they were a class apart from anything I've seen at sort of GFC level to be honest and they're they're now playing against um, James Hammond's side in Southern League Premier so they're they're a good side Um, nobody I've seen this year I would have been that worried about with a you know with a good match day squad for GFC and and now in the last couple of home games they've had that and I've almost been proved right in that sense because we we could have quite easily won both those games Um, what happened on Saturday was, yeah, it, it's something that's left us very frustrated in the way it all turned out. But um, in terms of what we're capable of, um, we've shown that in the last couple of games. And like you say, James, I think if that side had been available the whole season, I don't think we'd have perhaps been quite playoffs because you never get them going away all the time. Um, but certainly out of the 20 teams, certainly in the top dozen for sure. Mm. 
yeah, signs of positivity at Guernsey FC. And I think it's fair to say uh, that Tony Vance cuts a slightly more optimistic figure than he did a couple of weeks ago. There's still a long way to go, of course, um, in the season. But um, GFC uh, up to 17th. And we caught up with him a bit earlier on and began by asking him, uh, yeah, for his sort of reflections on, on the mood and the mood change over the last week or 10 days. Yeah, it was, it was a huge positive week, actually, really. And, and even the Marlowe game um, right up until half-time uh, was was really positive um, because, as I say, we, we were the better team in that game as well. So, uh, you know, I think, I think like you said, we've had two wins. Um, we went about it in, in a good way as well, uh, in a real positive way, and, and uh, the group was strong. So, uh, more training more options available and, and it looks like we turned the corner that we really really needed to turn and uh, if you add in that off the pitch obviously you know we lost Mark Latissa and Jez Robin from the board uh, but managed to replace them with with Julia and, and Paul O'Neill which which is um, you know sort of given us some fresh fresh impetus which is which you know the board needed I think in all fairness and because um, it hasn't changed really in 11 years and so now so that was an exciting week for us, and as I said, the only negativity was that second half against Marlow, which was still still frustrates me now. But you know, at the end of the day, it, it, it still was a positive weekend because we showed them and showed others that we can compete. Yeah, Gareth, I think you were getting quite excited in the stand at, at Marlow's antics. Well, I mean, at this at that level of football, you see quite a lot of it anyway. And I'm not going to just sort of like paint Marlow with that brush alone. You do, I mean, there's been many times in the past I've been chatting with Tony after games and sort of said to him, I'm glad we don't do those sort of things. You know, the, the gamesmanship, which you do get at sort of, I don't know, semi-pro level or whatever you call it. Um, yeah, I w- there was one point in the Marlow game where the red card came, where, where I was watching the guy sort of hit Jacob Fallows. I was just so... I, I thought he did it very deliberately to try and do it when the ball was somewhere else and, and I thought he was going to get away with it. So I, I, I actually sh- shouted out a few things at the time. Um, as it turned out, um, the officials must have seen it because he got the red card, which was deserved. But uh, yeah, it, it was one of those um, halves of football, which you do occasionally get in that level where you, I'm watching it and I'm becoming a bit disillusioned with what I'm watching because I'm not really watching football. And you're watching something very different. And I'm thinking I'd much rather go and watch a Prio game where the actual quality on show might not be there, but you don't get all that nonsense, basically. So I, I got frustrated that second half. Um, fortunately, I was I was able to go and watch a hockey game straight afterwards. So I, I sort of, my anger dissipated quite quickly, but I can totally understand why Tony would still feel frustrated sort of 48 hours later. Yeah, I, I saw your post-match quotes uh, the, you know, in Gareth's report in the paper. And you said, you know, you like the manager, the Marley manager, you get on with him, but you're pretty, um, I think, you sort of couldn't believe what you'd seen. I mean, is, is that the worst kind of gamesmanship you've seen uh, since you've been involved in Guernsey FC? Yeah, I think it's important Gareth did say that, you know, this isn't to tarnish Marlow with that brush because, you know, ultimately other teams do it. But this level of intimidation to the referee was was another level. <laughs> um, it wasn't football. And uh, they intimidated the ref to the extent that that controlled the game. And... Um, that's not football. <laughs> um, they got the win for, through their intimidation, and um, you know I was really proud of the way our players stood up to it because I don't think the ball was in play much more than about 15 minutes because of the way that, that their antics and that was their tactic to win the game, and it worked. So uh, any complaints from us will sound like sour grapes, but um, I think anyone that was at the game will understand what we're saying here. Uh, you know, it's, it's really important at this point that, that the armchair keyboard warriors don't jump out and say, here he goes, moan about this, this and this again. But you have to have been there to witness it. I mean, some of the things were, were ridiculous to beyond all extremes. And um, I think it sort of, it quantifies what some of the things I, I feel about uh, how this 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 level of football is and what it isn't. Um, and in terms of sort of, I don't know, just just from our point of view, things like the referees travelling with the opposition week in week out, it's just ridiculous. It shouldn't happen. And um, and when one of their players shouts, "Referee, you'll remember you're travelling back with us," um, it might have been tongue in cheek, might have been banter, but um, he can't say that. And 
you know, uh, it doesn't matter what level of football really, but this is sort of professional, semi-professional levels. And, you know, I would 100% sit by the referee on the plane and be his best mate um, <laughs> to try and to try and um, sort of get, get a 50-50 or something like that. Um, I don't know what they do, um, but I would 100% try it. <laughs> um, now, if we flip this round, imagine we're playing Basingstoke Town, for example, away, and I decided to drive to the game from England, and I gave the referee a lift, and he jumps out the, the, the my front uh, front seat after travelling with me. I would imagine the Basingstoke Town uh, contingent would be a little bit disappointed with that. And this is what's happening week in, week out. And, uh, you know, it, it, it sort of beggars belief a little bit. Now, you know, unfortunately, I don't blame the referee at all. I really don't blame the referee for the performance on Saturday because but he was just completely intimidated to the extent that, you know, he he, um, he crumbled and he didn't know what to do. And, and uh, they, the, the, the control of the game went completely, Marlow controlled it, you know, in terms of... You know, there was two instances, for example, where um, the goalkeeper literally there was a bit of a dust up. It was from from the second half. They were determined to get Jacob Fallet sent off, and they did any tactic they could to get him sent off. Um, you know, punching him. You know, sort of um, trying to intimidate him. Um, the goalkeeper ran 15 yards to shove him in the throat a couple of times, um, and then picked the ball up and booted it over the flags into the car park. <laughs> Someone's gone away with the ball at least. Yeah, and then, you know, so that that's that's a bookable offence in itself. Um, the captain, when they scored their second or third goal, picked the ball up and booted it over the trees, um, you know, just to waste time, just to just to sort of, you know, <laughs> you know, and, and that wasn't controlled. Um, so if it had been a football match, we'd have won that game. But um, they... They did what they needed to do. Um, as I said, there's many ways of winning a game of football, and uh, but that was that was close to the line, you know, in terms of. Um, but but they won the game, and um, I, I'm I actually sort of look at it afterwards. I was so frustrated, you know. I literally leant against my dugout, thinking, I just, I'm just not enjoying this at all. This is awful. They can have the game, you know. It's just it's just not football. Um, it's not sour grapes. 100% not sour grapes. I just didn't enjoy it. I'd rather be somewhere else, to be honest. And, um, you know, as I said, uh, I was really proud of the way our players stood up to that. Um, I was, I think the word lucky, I don't know if it is the right word, but I was lucky enough to play against Rhodes, um, that infamous game. And um, that was a completely different level. Um, and I, I quite enjoyed the game because you know you're trying to keep your temper, trying to keep control yourself really, really hard. Um, and as I say, I thought our players were magnificent to do that, particularly Jacob because they targeted him. Um, and I say we, we, they kept trying to play, but it just, the game was just not a game. Um, so we couldn't get any momentum. We couldn't go and do what we'd done to them in the first half. And unfortunately, we lost the game because of it. But um, so their tactics worked. Um, but I think if we'd have done that six weeks ago, we'd have we'd have lost about eight nil. Um, we wouldn't have been able to even even compete with them. We wouldn't even be able to sort of. They probably wouldn't even have needed to do it to be honest. But um, I think that shows that uh, where we are. Yeah, hopefully it hasn't taken the edge off uh, too much. What was it? As we said before, you know, pr a pretty positive week overall. I mean, uh, of those back to back wins. And you know, a couple of key players coming back on the pitch has that given you a bit of confidence that actually the, the safety is kind of within your grasp and it, it's it's you know it's not a sort of lost cause this season. Well, I mean, South Park was uh, an interesting game. Um, as I said, we did enough to to win the game, but we were hanging on. There's no doubt about it. But we defended really admirably, and I was I really enjoyed the defending, the desire the team showed to get the three points that night. And I would have liked to have done the same against Milo on Saturday, but unfortunately that didn't happen in the second half. It was a different contest. Uh, but um, that's two teams in the top five that we've gone against. And, you know, I've said it, I think Gareth spotted it as well in all the games he's watched us, uh, bar one, I think, Basingstoke and, and certainly Walton and Hersham. I haven't seen any other team that, that I fear. Um, but 
we need the, the deck of cards. We need the, the plan A, the plan B and plan C. And, and we've barely had a plan A this year. Um, when I say that, that's not the coaching element. That's that's the, the deck of cards, the, the tools in the box to be able to, to deliver a plan A. Um, now we've, we've got two or three options now. Um, I said it for the last couple of weeks, it's down to the players because if we go back to how we were, we'll go down. Simple as that. And, uh, you know, I, I hope I hope that we don't get into that situation again. But certainly at the moment, everything is, is gearing up that we'll be OK. But, you know, obviously we didn't get any points on Saturday, so that, that hurts because three, three more points and, and they would have been deserved, would have got us, I think, out of the relegation patch, which was an amazing turnaround considering we were very much rock bottom about 10 days ago. So I think that... The, the positive, optimistic signs are there, but you've got to deliver. And I keep telling that to players, and and delivering means turning up on a, on a on a Saturday, or but more importantly, turn up on a Tuesday and Thursday, and putting yourselves ready to play on the Tuesday and on the Saturday. So um, if we do that, we'll be okay. Certainly, what you say about the deck of cards, saying it's been very noticeable the last sort of ten days or so, going to games at Foots Lane, how important being able to sort of after an hour or so being, bring on guys like for example Matt Loring and Keen Domar who I mean those two have been around pretty much all season fair play to them but there was a time almost just right on New Year where we had literally 10 outfield players available and I don't think people quite realise how important having that squad depth is sometimes I mean you can put a decent 11 out but if you can't then freshen things up and try and change things if necessary after an hour or so of a game. Um, you are going to be where you found yourselves. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think those who understand football will, will totally <laughs> resonate with that. Um, so, as an example, uh, I think with when we played, I think it might have been Walton and Hersham, and we got battered six 0 It should have been about twelve. Um, our sub that day was Jason Martin. Um, probably actually it's coming up front well yeah possibly not after, after after 20 minutes he probably wanted to go and get changed like me um, so that was the option now that if we flip that around a little bit we had 11 players on the pitch uh, we didn't have anybody with any considerable height playing um, so Keen Domar was up front on his own um, his starting position up front on his own was was inside our own half so when you played it up to him <laughs> he had no one to pass to going forward he could pass backwards um he could yes we could we could clear our lines and try and push up but of course that meant that they were just going to be running us again so literally there was no plan a possible apart from defend <laughs> and try and get a nil nil and once they score one nil two nil you're gone um and then you look to the bench and think well what can jason martin do to help us here um Flip that round. Uh, we've got a team where we've got some height, um, we've got some dynamic players, and we've got some footballers. So you can try and play through the thirds. You can play from the back, which some of the crowd don't like and get up, get worried about. Um, but that's how you build. Um, you can play it wide because you've got wide players who are dynamic. You can play it long, diagonally because you've got Sam Murray, who's an <laughs> absolute threat in the air, and what you get from that is set pieces, throw-ins and corners. And you've got a long throw with Jamie Dodd and he can launch it to some very big players. And funny enough, that's how we're scoring goals at the moment. Um, and, you know, we're also scoring other types of goals. So there's a plan A, plan B and plan C in, in, a, in a starting eleven. <clears throat> then you turn to your bench and like um, Gareth says, you've got Liam Mann, Matt Loring, King Domile. Um, you've got defensive options. You've got Dave Rioi, um as well. So uh, that's the difference. Simple as that. And I, can I just so I just want to add this one thing because I don't want to go the whole week without saying it. But Sam Murray's goal on Saturday was excellent, and I felt very sorry for him after the game because most other days that would have been the sort of like the main headline: Sam Murray's overhead kick, which is an absolute belter. And of course, it pretty much all got forgotten in the second half. <laughs> yeah, true. That 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 could have gone sort of almost semi-viral for 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 Guernsey sort of in terms of that because like like uh, Gareth said there, what a great goal. Um, that that should have been unfortunately the winning, and we would have liked to have second half had a had a fight in terms of <laughs> <laughs> defending, and uh, not a fight as in trying to stop the ref being intimidated and uh, um, 
and uh, sort of losing the control um, that happened. But um, it's still really, really positive. You know, like I think we touched on there with Sam Murray. He's been a you know a real revelation this season. Really has. Danny Hale again, Brandon Wallace, Dave Merris. You know, so these are the sort of things we should be talking about. And as I said, we've we've got a tough period coming up. Absolutely. Um, but um, it's a, a lot, lot better than it was for the reasons I said before. Um, and but it's down to the players. You know, we, we we can deliver the plan A, B, C, Ds, but we need we need the tools in the in the box. Yeah, and off the field, you mentioned before the changes um, to the board. Just set the scene for from your perspective, Tony. Obviously, you've been involved from the very start with GFC. Yeah, how positive is it to have that? kind of yeah, fresh energy at, at the sort of top of the club. And I don't know how much you can say about the ideas that have been banded around and the things that you want to, you know, you want to see to move the club forward. But does this put you in a position to to kind of set the club up for the next decade? Yeah, I, I think when, when you sort of look about it, the, the next decade, you know, that probably puts it in perspective. The, the board has pretty much been the same um, in terms of its sort of stature and, and how we go about things for the last decade. Um, but before I sort of go on about the current sort of changes, if you like, I think it's really important for me to sort of uh, show our appreciation to, to um, obviously Jez Robin because of what he's done for the football club, but 100% um, Mark Letizia, you know, um, he was basically myself, Steve Dewsnip, um, but Mark and Steve in particular were absolutely, you know, this football club wouldn't be around if it hadn't been for them. And, um, you know, he, he should, his name and, and everything, you know, associated with football club should go down in history and, and, and be sort of celebrated because what he's achieved for us um, in in many um, roles, um, he did too much, absolutely did too much. And uh, unfortunately, perhaps because of that, we're now... Um, We've lost lost his sort of services, if you like, but his health is is is, is paramount and the mo most important thing here. But and he'll still be around. But um, you know, he basically <laughs> has got this football club going, kept it going uh, with with a little bit of support from some people here and there. But you know, his efforts have, have not will never ever go unnoticed from me and the rest of the sort of board and, and certainly from people involved in Guernsey Football Club because uh, he's given us this this platform to to keep the football club going uh, and um, we've got this opportunity now to sort of go into the next decade um, with with some some new leadership um, some fresh ideas some fresh impetus and you know with Julia um, and Paul O'Neill they're, they're bringing a, a you know, I don't want to sound it's, uh, some more fr some some fresh ideas, some a fresh approach, some some um, some new, you know, some some new thoughts. Uh, they'll listen to the the, the sort of the, well, I call the old guard. That's myself included, and and listen to our experience and knowledge that we've had. But they they they've got a brand new sheet of paper, a blank sheet of paper that they can they can hopefully um, bring some um, some impetus to us because. We've needed it, in all fairness, and uh, it was getting a little bit stale, um, and it was starting to hurt a bit. Um, you know, financially, I don't. I know we talk about it, but people don't really appreciate how much this football club costs. You know, I think um, you know we're, we're you know, probably talking about over a quarter of a million pound a year, um, which is reliant on sponsorship, ticket sales. Um, anything we can get our hands on to, to keep the football club going. Now that figure goes up and up each year, and it's gone up significantly since um, since COVID because you know just simple flights have gone up. You know all the costs have gone up. Sponsorship hasn't gone up. <laughs> Sponsorship has gone the other way, and rightly so because people are, are feeling the pinch. So it is just incredibly difficult to keep us going. Now, if you throw in, I think I said ticket sales was our single biggest income earner. Um, we're not playing very well. <laughs> um, so people aren't going to come and watch us. Um, people have got other things to do now. Um, so uh, it, um, you know, ticket sales are down. Then secondary income was down because of that. So uh, it's really, really difficult to keep this football club going now. There's loads of things that I want to do. 
um, but it, unfortunately it all costs money. <laughs> um, and uh, if, if, you know, just to compete um, costs money. So real simple thing. Uh, again, people probably won't understand this but or appreciate this, but um, we go away with 14 players, um, which means I've got three subs. So we were talking about the plan A, B, C and D. Well, straight away, going away from home gives me a plan A and a B if I'm lucky. Um, when uh, and that's literally down to money, completely down to money. We, you know, we we, we sort of cause cause issues for ourselves, but it's because we can't afford it. Uh, the teams that come here because we have to pay for them. Um, we pay. For, we have to pay for. I think it's twenty three of them to come over or twenty four of them to come over. So they bring seventeen and leave one out, <laughs> um, just in case someone gets ill. So straight away they've got better options for us. Um, we also pay for their their canteen lady as well, and their their groundsmen to have a trip as well. If if they can't fill those twenty three places with their officials, um, so straight away you know we're being hindered just not just on that alone. Um, but um, so so you need that that sort of you need to be finding money from somewhere. Um, and before everyone sort of jumps on the bandwagon and thinks that because Julie is involved, you know she's going to open a sort of. Um, you know, sort of a, a, a sort of purse, if you like, and help us. She's she's very much not. She she is a businesswoman, and she wants the club to be trading sustainable sustainable <laughs> with with sustainability. And uh, she, you know, I've already seen that firsthand. So um, that that will not be happening. Um, but uh, she'll have contacts. She'll she'll be able to provide some some good insights um, into business, and and that's what we need to be is a business. Um, we need to be. Um, so when you're saying about changes, for example, I mean, I can tell you what I want and what I think. It's not necessarily what the other board have. We've even discussed it, but I think we need to be sort of a lot more professional. Um, we haven't got any full-time employees at all um, now. Rugby, for example, Jordan Reynolds is full-time. You know, um, I'm just about part-time, if that. You know, and um, you know, uh, we haven't got anyone else. That uh, sort of you know charities. If you look at charity, we're a charity. Charities will have an office manageress or a manager or an administrative staff that are paid. Um, now, for a business of this size with the, with the turnover and what it does in the community, um, I think we need to be more professional in our setup, um, operate like a business. And I think if we do that, it makes things easier and we can do things better. Um, you know, we might be able to have. People might be on them be able to have the time to find cheaper overheads and cheaper cheaper alternatives and, and options that because you're paid to do that uh, you've got the time to do it. Whereas if you're a volunteer like poor old Mark was and he was able to try and do that all himself, uh, you end up just about doing it, um, you know, enough if you know what I mean. And um, so everyone's feeling the pinch. But um, as I say, for, from our point of view, I think we need to look at our structures a little bit. Um, it all costs money. I totally understand that. But I think you know we, we need to sort of if, to go into the next decade to, to compete at this level um, and and maybe sort of try and push on. Then perhaps we need to do things different. Um, tongue in cheek here, but you know, <laughs> and and this is I think this is a, a real reality check for everybody. You look at Alex Scott, for example, who's been piped around at twenty-five million pounds, um, you know, and, and rightly so, and even even more after his performance at the weekend. Well, if he'd have been on a contract with Guernsey FC, which meant we'd have had to pay him, by the way, <laughs> um, but it would have been a very clever um, risk because you'd get ten percent of his transfer fee, which is two point five million. Now that secures you for ten years. Mm. Right? Um, these are the things that we've got to be clever with. I was going to say, Alex got 25 million about two weeks ago yeah. after his performance this weekend. And as as Tony and I were discussing earlier, um, Tony being a Newcastle fan and me being Evertonian, <laughs> Anthony Gordon's just gone for 40 million. And I'd probably guess Alex Scott's at least three times the player of <laughs> Anthony Gordon. So it could be a hell of a lot more, really, couldn't it? <laughs> Uh, it should be, yeah, absolutely. And um, the world's his oyster, it really is. Uh, I was just chatting to Alex's brother, Callum, earlier, and I think I've said this before, and Brian Tinian taught me very early on that w when you see a player, you know that how good they are when they can just step up at every challenge they've they've sort of come to. And um, 
the one thing that was apparent with Brian when we when we took him over there was that he could do that. He did it with Guernsey FC. He's done it at Bristol City through the through the age group levels, and he's now doing it in the Bristol City first team. And he's he's actually, you know, <laughs> too good for them. Um, so uh, I'm not sure. Uh, and knowing Alex the way I do, I believe he can keep doing that. <laughs> so if he goes to Newcastle or Everton and uh, there's no, you know, I don't know that. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just saying that because you two are, have just said it yourself. I think there's another level yet. Um, so absolutely right. I suppose he's only worth what people are prepared to pay for him. But if Bristol City can keep hold of him, have him on a significant contract enough to dictate that his fee is X, then he's worth way more than 25 million in today's money. Mm. Um, and his performance on Saturday uh, apparently was just a different level. But um, yeah, um, it's, it's wonderful to see. Uh, it really is. So, um, you know, we should all be very proud. Yeah, it was um, it was a highlights edit that someone had put together of basically all his contributions and touches, and it was uh, yeah, it was pretty eye catching. It's fair to say. Um, but while we got you, Tony, we've had the Island Games draw today. Um, obviously, it's not too far away. Um, we, we might touch on the coaching situation at the moment, but just in terms of the, the draw itself, um, what was your initial reaction to to uh, I suppose the, the the draw for for Guernsey's men and women? Tough, very tough. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I think you know. Obviously, you you hope for a sort of a, um, a, a home island games that you know <laughs> your passage is 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 a, a pleasant one if you like. And um, you know, I think uh, obviously I remember playing in the two thousand and three island games, and, and we had a fairly tough group then. Um, but um, the momentum was was just fantastic, and we just built and built, and we, we were very lucky to go on and and win gold in, in front of everybody, which is, you know, one of the greatest things ever. And, and here's an opportunity for the, for the current group to do that. Uh, but um, they've been given a tough draw, I have to say. And uh, But it, it, it's a winnable group. But then I think there's two or three islands at least in that in that group that will that will be saying the same and, and will want to um, put one over on the, the sort of home island, if you like. And uh, yeah, it's, if 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 Guernsey is to sort of get a medal, then they've got a, firstly a big challenge is to get out of the group, and secondly, um, obviously I'm not sure where they'll end up, um, who they play in the semi-final if they get there, but um, yeah, it's going to be a tough order. But um, you know, you you got to go into a competition not fearing anyone. Yeah, and as things stand, um, no word on who's going to be coaching. Uh, Guernsey's men at the games or, or in the Marathi for that matter at the end of the season obviously you did the Marathi last year um, are you expecting a call to come for the Island Games and is it one you'd answer? Well if I had a pound for the amount of people that have asked me that um, You could buy I, Alex Scott I could, <laughs> Yeah, I could buy his left leg <laughs> um, So I have been asked if I would consider it uh, yeah, I'm um, well, now you see the draw, you might. <laughs> you might now, now seeing the draw, I don't want to do it. <laughs> now, um, I have been asked to consider it. Um, what I, what, what I've said is that, um, and you know, I can, I can say this now. Uh, right now, my, my energy is on trying to keep Guernsey FC in this division. Uh, we're in a relegation battle, and um, if we were to go down, I think it will be really detrimental both financially and in many other ways um, a real negative for the for the um, for the football club so uh, my energy is 100% on trying to keep us uh, in, in this division and um, as I said we're in it we're in a tough relegation battle so we've got to get out of that now I don't know what that's going to take out of me um, you know we're January now and as I said we're in a relegation situation. The Island Games is in June, uh, July. I totally respect that it is it is going to be an amazing opportunity and and um, sort of competition to be involved in and and, and the, you know to a certain degree the the, the you know the, the, the top thing. Um, but right now that's in July and, and I you know I, I can't think about that uh, for me. Um, I don't know where I'm going to be in April in terms of my energy levels. 
and I, I, I wouldn't want to be sort of committing myself to something that I don't think I can give the absolute 100% attention, but I'll know more um, around February, March time, uh, bearing on mind where we are as Guernsey FC as a football club on and off the pitch, that's my priority. Um, I'll know more then. I appreciate that, you know, obviously uh, there needs to be someone in place. Now, if, you know, I've said to the GFA and, and if somebody comes comes along and 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 you know they they want to support that person or that you know that they want to go out and find somebody brilliant you know I'll be I'll be very pleased because it means that you know someone can give that attention to it but um ultimately right now for me it's about putting all my energy into into Guernsey FC and then see what see where we are in in a couple of months time because uh, um you know just just in terms of sort of <laughs> just in terms of football that that would have meant I'll be I mean we I did the Marathi last year it sort of helped out which meant that uh, I went from pretty much July last year um, still going now haven't had a break um, if 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 I did the Island Games um, I, that would mean I'd have to do the Marathi you know, it, it wouldn't and I say have to it just wouldn't seem right that somebody does the Island Games and not the Marathi um, and then the Island Games are finished, GFC starts again and off I go again and I'll, I'll be about sort of three, four years continuous and I think, I don't know what that would do to me to be honest, so um, <laughs> um, I've got to think about that, but you know, not only for myself, but it's obviously my family, but also the fact that you've got to give 100% commitment and energy to any job you do, that, that's me, that's what, you know, I think everyone would appreciate and understand that and, and realise that and right now, my 100% is going to Guernsey FC and, and trying to keep us in this division. And let's see where we are in a couple of months' time. Tony Vance speaking to Gareth and I there. Very busy month ahead, as we said, for the Green Lions. They play seven times in February, um, seven times in 24 days. So, um, yeah, a lot of work to do there, but um, things certainly moving in the right direction. Um, right, let's turn our attention back to domestic football then, because yeah, the Premier League returned at the weekend, Jim. Four games and four wins um, for the teams at the top. Yeah, though, uh, two completely different types of uh, win on the table. So the top two romped to uh, six goal victories. Well, Rovers put six past Sylvans and then conceded a late consolation. Uh, you know, Rovers took the lead within six or on 60 seconds. It was rather like uh, those with long memories. Remember uh, Netherlands, West Germany, 1974. Uh, Sylvans, nope. <laughs> Sylvans, Sylvans hadn't touched the ball before, uh, before Rovers put it in the net to start the game. And uh, it was uh, one-way traffic. Apart from a, a fine... Well, so uh, Rovers had Steve Balmer in goal, the reserve goalkeeper, who conceded a penalty and then went on to save it very nicely. And uh, yeah, I mean, Rovers were always on top uh, and you know, put in a, a very good, a strong performance. Um, slightly different in uh, in Alderney, where North was were only 1-0 up at half-time, but they went on to, to score six in the end as uh, Alderney's challenge rather petered out. Um, and then two completely different types of game in the other two fixtures. Uh, Saints last minute uh, winner against Bells in the evening clash to win 2-1 and uh, high controversy at the Corbett Field where Rangers were hanging on for a 0-0 against Valorette conceded a late penalty uh, which was saved by Adam Gontier uh, only for there to be, have to be a retake and uh, at which point Glenn Lecissier proved he was the coolest man in the house by doing a Penenka down the middle um, but you know uh, why or i you know i do have to question as a, as a referee why somebody would be quite uh, willing to uh, to chalk off a penalty save through uh, you know not standing on on the goal line it's not as if uh, uh, you that um, technology is going to dig you out for, uh, for for not calling that you know yeah, brave call for sure and a brave penalty from Glenn. Um, but it definitely does keep things interesting at the top and uh, heading into this weekend where there is a massive clash. Um, Rovers uh, welcoming North down to Portsmouth on Saturday. As things stand, um, Rovers on 33 points at the top. North and Saints um, five points back, both with a game in hand. Uh, set up very nicely, isn't it? Well, uh, I mean, what's at stake going into this Saturday, Jim? So North and, and Rovers have played twice already this season. Rovers burgled a 2-1 uh, victory uh, at Northfield when, uh, frankly, they didn't turn up for 75 minutes and then struck twice later on. Uh, and then there was a 0-0 draw just before Christmas at the Swath. Um, 
it is really, uh, really incredibly tight. However, I would perhaps go as far as to say that if either team wins this game, I could see that team going on to win the league. Yeah, I'd pretty much agree. I, I would, I would say that North cannot afford to lose this game. Mm. Well, and the gap would be eight points then. Yeah, I mean okay. they still have a game in North hand. North still have a game in hand, but, but that I, they can't afford to lose this game. Mm. That's for sure. Um, I mean, if you can't take Saints out of the title equation, so that's the one thing. I mean, Saints could always quite easily, well, not easily, but they can still catch up with the, both the sides ahead of them. But if North want to win the league, they can't lose this weekend. This could be a big one. Two o'clock kickoff at Port Swath. Um, the other game on Saturday in the FNB Premier League uh, sees Alderney go to Rangers. Um, GFC are away at High Flying Northwood in this being South Central. Yeah, just one thing. Northwood, I think, are actually they've lost quite a lot of momentum recently. They they were top of the league for a long time because they won their first seven games, and I, I think since then their record is probably they lost probably more than they've won ever since then. So that's that's a, I mean, they'll be favourites against GFC, but um, it it's not quite the the dreaded fixture that it was looking sort of back in November December time. So potentially an opportunity for the Green Lines over there. Um, I think that's just about it from us. Um, just wanted to mention Alex Scott again. We we brought him up with um, with Tony Vance before. He put in an exceptional performance against West Brom in the FA Cup. Um, on Saturday afternoon, scoring as Bristol City went through his first FA Cup goal. And um, people keep sort of putting together montages of his, of his moments in games and the sort of highlights reels um, on Twitter. Um, yeah, and his highlight reel from Saturday was, was as we said, fairly impressive. <laughs> he just looked class, didn't he, in that, in that reel? But uh, actually, I, I, I was more interested in sort of going down on the, on the replies to that tweet and the, the Bristol City fans, how many of them were basically how many of them said that he's the best player they've seen at Ashton Gate? And um, yeah, when he comes up with performances like that, it's, it's not that big a surprise, really. The other point of interest for Bristol City fans is how many of them believe that uh, Stephen Lansdowne kind of spotted him kicking around on the beach and, <laughs> uh, and decided to put, uh, put him through for a trial. <laughs> yeah, he was having a kick around and uh, Steve was walking his dog down at Portsmouth, wasn't he? Yeah. Um, Right, I think that's just about it then from us. Uh, if you're not already, do make sure you're um, following or subscribing to the podcast wherever you get your um, shows. Um, also on social media, we're at GSY Press Sport, wherever you go. And uh, for the very best uh, and most comprehensive local football coverage, local sports coverage, do pick up a paper six days a week. Um, cheers, guys. Our thanks once again to Rehoy. And uh, yeah, we'll see you soon. Cheers, Tony. Cheers. Cheers.